This morning, uh, we are going to be talking about a significant story in the life of David. And, and this story reveals to us a heart of compassion and grace. Now, when Paul was recounting the story of David, he told us that David was chosen by God because of his heart for God. Acts chapter 13, verse 22 says, After removing Saul, he, God, made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. That's a great summary verse for David's life, isn't it? A man after my own heart. As we delve into the story today, we're going to see David's heart, a heart of compassion. At the same time, he deals with a man who is disabled. And today we're going to be talking about the story of a man named Mephibosheth. Go ahead and say that with me. Mephibosheth. Let's get that out there, right? So open your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9 this morning. And in this story, we find David settled in as king. At the very end of chapter 8, we read David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all people. David is now in control of all of Israel. He's doing the right thing in his position as king. He has the right people in charge of all the right areas. And it is in this context that we find David asking the right question in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. Picking up in verse 1, we read, David asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, you might remember that David had made a promise to Jonathan back in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now, we need to understand the context here of this story. In this day and time, when a new king was established, he would often cut off or wipe out all of the old king's descendants. This would kind of keep his enemies at bay. But David did not do this. David was careful to keep his promise, his oath with Saul and his son Jonathan. And now that David is settled in as king, he remembers this promise and he asks the question, is there anyone left? Is there a way that I can show kindness to them? You see, when our heart is aligned with the heart of God, we want to give as we have received. You see, David's happy to be king, isn't he? But when he realizes how much God has blessed him, he has this urge to bless others. This is what God's followers do. They understand that they've been given grace, and therefore they want to extend that same grace to others. Is there someone around who, might, who I can give kindness and give grace to? Verse 2, now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. So David asked the right question. Verse 3, the king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? The answer, verse 3, Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. There is someone, there is a son of Jonathan. And look at how he's described. He is lame in both feet. 
Now, in many ways, Mephibosheth is defined by his disability. When his name is mentioned, the fact that he is crippled goes along with it. Now, you might make the case that David is told of his disability so that he wouldn't kill him, right? He's not going to do you any harm, David. He's not very powerful. He, he can't hurt you. You don't need to worry about him, David. He's not a threat. Maybe that's what Ziba is saying here. But David is not looking to have him killed, as we're going to find out in the story. Now, before we go on with the story, we might recall together what we're told back in chapter 4. Saul was killed, and his son Ishbosheth was ruling part of that kingdom. Now, if you want to flip back with me, you can go back to 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. You can just listen as I read this. It says here in verse 4, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. So there's the background story there. He was just a child when his father was killed. And he's been hiding out the entire time. Can't you picture with him, can't you picture with me this man being told that his grandfather was once king? But since then, they have been killed and a new king is in the land. Perhaps he had been warned that the new king might try to kill him. He would need to stay quiet. He would not need to let anyone know of his identity. Back in the conversation between David and Ziba, back in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we read in verse 4, Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. Perhaps Ziba's heart sank when David asked this question. You see, he knew that his own life would be on the line if he didn't tell the truth, so he had to say where he was. But look at what happens next, verse 5. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. Now, imagine this scene with me. Mephibosheth gets a knock at the door, and then the dreaded words. The king wants to see you. What do you think is going through Mephibosheth's mind at this point? Why does a king want to see me? Is he going to have me killed? You know, he has no choice. He goes with the men to see King David. Verse 6, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Now, you might imagine he's being respectful. Can't you picture him being carried in? Remember, he can't walk, so people are probably having to carry him in. Placing him before the king. We might picture him shaking, not sure the words that are going to come out of David's mouth. But look at what David says in verse 7. Don't be afraid, David said to him. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth can't believe what he's hearing. What? Land? The king's table? Look at how he responds in verse 8. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant? You should notice a dead dog like me 
A dead dog, that's how he describes himself. That's what I am, Mephibosheth says. I'm not good for anything. I can't even walk, Mephibosheth thinks. In verses 9 and 10, David gives Ziba and his family 15 sons and 20 servants to Mephibosheth. Look at verse 9 here. Then then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. He instructs him to care for him, raising crops on the land that was given to him. Verse 11, then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever the Lord my king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. David tells them again, they're to bring him in to the king's table each night. The story is summed up in verses 12 and 13 here. Verse 12, Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth in the verse 13. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. We're told again, he's eating at the king's table and he is lame. We're told four times in this chapter that Mephibosheth is eating at the king's table. It's, it's an astonishing sort of dynamic, especially in this day and time. Now, remember, remember, Mephibosheth will have to be carried in every single night. He cannot contribute. He, in ancient Middle Eastern thought, should be dead. But he's invited to the table. He's given extreme honor. I love this story, don't you? I love this story because it reveals David's heart. And if David is a man after God's own heart, then we should pay attention to how David functions. And as followers of Jesus, we should strive to have a similar outlook on life. What can we learn from this story? As we read earlier, Jesus tells his followers in Matthew 25, we read this earlier, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, we did. When did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and gave you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. I'd like to invite a few people to come. Uh, Levi and Mark are going to come and share now um, the way in which they served uh, the least of these a few weeks ago at group work camp. And um, I'm going to invite them to come and share now their testimony. morning Um, so this was actually my second year um, doing a group mission trip and we've talked about it a lot um, over church over uh, different church services but I'll just kind of give a brief summary of what we usually do 
So um, with the group mission trip, we uh, go to a location. This year it was Woonsocket, Rhode Island. And um, we're assigned to a crew, which is made up of different people from all different churches. Um, and then the crew goes to a work site of residents and then does housework for them, um, repairs, um, painting, um, stuff like that. And so being my second year, I knew a little bit more what to expect. Last year, my first year, I was very nervous. Um, I didn't know if I would connect with my crew members. I didn't know how the work would be. I was very nervous, but this year I was uh, much calmer and um, it, it was a lot more fun. And one thing that I notice that um, I noticed both years is that when you are put in your crew, there's an instant connection between the people in the crew. You're all united in a common mission to serve God and um, you're all in the same boat. You don't know each other, but through that, um, God works through you and allows that connection to exist. And so I'll tell you a little bit about our residents. Our residents were a young couple, maybe early 30s, and then her mother actually lived with them as well. And uh, our job was to paint their entire house in a week. And it was a two-story house. It was fairly large, so it was a lot of work to be done. But through working together and um, doing that, we got, the, we got the job done by Friday. And one thing that was interesting this year was that our residents, which a lot of the crew members have never noticed before, our residents actually came out and helped us with the work, um, which was really lovely because we got to be out there with them. We get to talk with them just about life and you know, making that connection. Because a lot of times when we do group mission trips or other mission trips, we tend to think of our jobs as more of like projects that just be, need to be done. But I mean, the job is really secondary to what you're doing, which is building connections with people and sacrificing your time and serving God in his kingdom and furthering his kingdom. And so that's the beauty of mission trips is that you get to place yourself in a position that might be a little uncomfortable and serve God and trust him with everything that you're doing. Thank you. So this was my first uh, work camp trip, so I had a lot to learn. Uh, learned from Levi, learned from our other students who have gone before us. Uh, my work camp crew specifically was also assigned a painting job uh, of a house. It was a house that was split into two apartments. And uh, the owner's name was Kay, and she was a first-time home buyer and wasn't from the area of, of Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Uh, she was trying to break out of the cycle of poverty. Uh, she was working really hard. She got an education. She got a job. Obviously, she bought her first home. She was having successes along the way, but she still was having challenges. She was still needing help. In fact, one of the first days we were there, uh, we were using some, some power tools to clear out some overgrown bushes so we can paint the house. While we were doing that, uh, the power company came and shut off her power. Uh, so she was still facing those challenges. Uh, thankfully, she was able to have that resolved a little bit later in the day. They also, uh, it also impacted their other tenants that they had. Their other tenants had a seven-year-old uh, girl living with them. Uh, it, was a, it was a joy to get to know her. She interacted with all the, all the crew members uh, throughout the week. We got to learn a lot, about, a lot about her. The owner, Kay, she didn't know a lot about home repair. 
so that's kind of why you know, we were involved, why she worked with Group Work Camp, uh, to have some of those basic things done. Uh, and she also knew, knew going in what Group Work Camp was all about. It was a group of Christians, uh, majority youth coming in to serve others in need. And so she was invited to join our devotions during the lunch hour. And she eventually did. The first few days she wasn't able to make it, but she ended up joining us for our, our devotional time. She had a, a calm presence about her. Uh, she was thrilled that her home was being painted. You can see the joy in her face as her, her house was transformed. Uh, it was the brightest home on the block. And she, she really appreciated that. She thanked us throughout the week, multiple occasions, and she was making positive connections with all of the youth. She was getting to know them by name. She was getting to hear their story. She was able to share her story. Uh, so it was overall a very positive connection that, and relationship building we had with her. They even exchanged phone numbers so they can text each other encouragements throughout the year. Uh, it was cool to see that connection develop. Uh, to go back to that seven-year-old that we got to know so well, uh, she told us on how much she wanted to have a bike. And one of our young crew members one night went out to Walmart, bought a bike with his own money, and brought it back as a present for her. And then we got to see her ride around with her little helmet on, a little pink bicycle around the driveway, and just got to see the joy that she expressed in her face from these people she didn't really even know. And we may never see her again, but it was in that moment that we know we made a positive impact on her life. And, and our prayer is that moving forward, this will be a positive memory she has, something that she can hold on to when life gets difficult for her. Uh, so it was a wonderful experience. We, we pray over Kay. We pray over that seven-year-old as they continue on in their lives, uh, seeing the love of, and hope of Christ in their, in their work, in their daily lives. And thank you all to, to all of you who supported us through prayer, uh, financial support, and other means. Uh, your support really did make an impact on our residents. So thank you. Thank you, Levi and Mark, for sharing. So why did David offer extravagant grace to Mephibosheth? It was because he had received grace from God. And as his heart lined with God's heart, aligned with God's heart, he had to do something. He had to show kindness to Mephibosheth. And as we've gathered this morning, we need to remember this story, the story of Mephibosheth. Let me ask the question, have you received grace this morning? Has God given you more than you deserve? How will we respond? Would you pray with me? God, we're grateful this morning for the story in the middle of 2 Samuel. A story that maybe some of us remember that maybe for the first time some have heard it this morning. But it's a story of grace. It's a story where King David is at his best. His heart is in line with your heart. And he brings in Mephibosheth. And he extends grace. In a culture and a time when power is all about domination, David brings in the least of these and has him sit at his table. God, may we have the same posture as we follow you 
as our heart lines up with your heart, may we love others, may we extend grace, may we take what you've given to us and reflect it to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.